0: Hello and welcome to podcast by Brodies. My name's David Lee and in this series we take an in-depth look at some common and not-so-common questions and scenarios Brodies lawyers have faced over the years. In each episode we talk to Brodies experts to hear their insights and experiences that allow them to take the right approach when they're asked that deceptively simple but often hugely complex question, what do I do if... The focus in this part of the series is on health and safety and land and rural business and in this episode we hear from two health and safety experts, Senior Associate Victoria Anderson and Senior Solicitor Emma Dyson. They will address a question no one wants to have to ask but which everyone needs to be prepared for. What do I do if I need to manage an accident at work? So Victoria first of all what do we mean by an accident at work? It can presumably cover many different scenarios. So can you give us a few?
1: Yeah. So I suppose the, the focus for discussion is not so much how do I manage the accident, but how do I manage the aftermath of the accident? Now, we are probably all sadly quite familiar with um, accidents at work, be those ranging from minor incidents to cut fingers um, up to the serious end involving fatalities. And it looks different in every single business, depending on the nature of your business, the type of activity that you're undertaking. But um, the most common generally in health and safety terms come from sectors such as construction or manufacture, where um, people are injured either by machinery or in the course of an operation. So your common ones are falls from height, uh, either parts of the body becoming coming into contact with um, moving or dangerous parts of machinery. So that involves factories, production lines, things like that. But I think what we would really like to to get across to to those listening and to, uh, to our clients is that it's not just the most serious accidents where you have to have a plan it is very good opportunity and training to think about even in the less serious circumstances where perhaps you're not going to be involved with health and safety regulators and or the police but all smaller incidents also need to be well managed internally because even small incidents can really shake a workforce
0: up. Okay so Emma talking about that preparation that victoria's just touched on what should a business do to prepare what should they get in place what systems should they have and and why does it matter
2: um, well yes david i think yes you can't eradicate all risks of an accident happening in a workplace businesses will obviously have systems in place to keep people safe things like risk assessments for example but I think it's important to also still have in place where an accident has occurred uh, something like an emergency response protocol and somebody who is ultimately trained to step into the role of an incident manager if an accident does occur. And as Victoria said, a good emergency response protocol will deal with all types of accidents. So dealing from relatively minor ones up to, you know, potentially very serious ones and and fatalities. The response protocol should be bespoke and it should be looking at the type of business that you have, the industry you're in, what kind of risks do exist. And a good legal team will obviously be able to draft something bespoke to you on that with specific advice, particularly as well regarding who you should contact if an accident does take place and the specific regulators you might come across if an accident does take place. And as soon as an accident has taken place, then you have your immediate next step will be to consult your protocol. You might forget uh, to contact important people, such as your insurers, uh, in the immediate aftermath of an accident. And often after an accident, the environment will be chaotic and incredibly stressful for everyone involved. If you've got a good protocol in place immediately after, you, it will focus your mind on the ne- on the next steps that you need to take and provide you with a level of protection before you have the chance to actually investigate the accident yourself. And in terms of, you know, keeping the situation calm, it also will help you to manage your employees to show that you're as controlled and calm as possible and give your employees reassurance that you're ultimately managing the situation.
0: OK, so so, Victoria, you've got all the processes in place, as Emma's described there. Let's look at the reality of, of, of something actually does happen. You know, the worst case scenario what's that immediate response? What should you be doing in the immediate aftermath of an accident? What about the scene, preserving the accident scene, clearing, making things safe? What are those first steps?
1: I have to caveat all of this by saying it, well, almost every single accident will be different in some shape or form to a previous accident you've had. It's very unusual to find two that are identical. So, each business will have to react to the circumstances that they are presented with. Now, obviously, the initial priority is care for the injured person. If we are dealing with a situation where the person has been injured, but not fatally so, then you will want to instantly treat the person if possible. So if you have trained first aiders within your business, they need to be notified, brought to the scene. And depending on the level of uh, severity of the injury, you'll be assessing things like whether or not you need to contact the emergency services, whether that's an ambulance Um, and more serious circumstances that might require the fire brigade if somebody is trapped. Um, And generally speaking, in terms of caring for the casualty, you will find that when speaking to the responders on the 999 call, they can offer fantastic advice in terms of what you should be doing. You know, um, It is a bit of a judgment call. You can't go in all guns blazing and start trying to to move things. Sometimes that can be detrimental to the person injured, depending on the circumstances. So you want to make sure that you've contacted the appropriate people. If that is the emergency services, sometimes it will be possible simply to administer first aid on site, get the person into a car and drive them to hospital. That might be the quickest response. Um, you then have to look slightly further, slightly wider and consider whether there is anything about the um, the scene that needs to be preserved. Now, in serious incidents, again, the emergency responders on your 999 call will probably advise you whether or not pieces of equipment should be moved or should not be moved. That will primarily be for the health and safety of the casualty. But um, in a serious incident, it's actually very important that you Do not move things. Um, You leave as much in place as you possibly can. The obvious caveat to that is if things have to be moved to allow access for the emergency services, then, of course, that will be permitted. There are certain um, legal duties in respect to scene preservation. and the police and or the health and safety executive if they are due to attend can issue legal orders requiring you not to disturb a scene so again react to the circumstances with which you are presented um but make sure you have somebody who's a central point of contact in your business as Emma's mentioned your incident manager that person will in effect be left standing at the scene the casualty will leave site and they will have to take the next steps. And that does involve contacting your insurers, contacting your legal team, but it also involves informing people internally within the business who need to know if a serious incident has occurred. That might be your senior management team. Um, You will also want to have regard for the injured persons next of kin. If they have on their HR file, somebody who can be contacted in the event of an emergency, you're either your HR team, if we're talking about a business big enough to have one of those, or somebody, an office manager um, or a site manager, needs to have access to that material to be able to contact people to let them know something has happened. Often, and um, fortunately, casualties are are regularly in a position to make that call themselves, but they might ask to have their mobile phone brought to them, for example, if it's not on their person. Um, so these are these are the initial considerations that you need to have.
0: And Victoria, presuming that you are allowed to uh, remove things from the scene, you don't have to preserve it. What should your considerations be in in removing items or uh, anything from the scene?
1: So it's important to think about gathering as much evidence as you can as close to the time of the accident. As we all know, memories fade, particularly following something that's been an unexpected or shocking incident. So you want to preserve physical evidence. Now, that might be pieces of um, machinery or work equipment that were somehow involved in the accident itself. Even if the um, police and or the health and safety regulator has been involved in inspecting that equipment already. Remember that that's only one half of the story. What we'll come on to look at in part two of this podcast is the potential for accidents at work to end up in a prosecution situation and if that happens to your business you will have to or your defence team will need access to the same evidence that the police and or the HSE have examined and they might want to make their own investigations of that so it's really important to look at things like that you also want to look at um the stuff in the background as we would call it so things like the documentary evidence involved in the work task which will show the history leading up to how these people came to arrive in the circumstances that they did that might be things like training records risk assessments safe systems of work etc and the other thing which um is hugely important in any accident circumstances, witness evidence, what did everybody see and hear, and you want to be in a position to be able to record that evidence. So quite a good tip um, in the immediate aftermath is to get all of your witnesses, now that's your workforce, to gather somewhere where they are easily accessible for either the police if they wish to take statements and or the health and safety executive, but Have them sitting somewhere where they can provide their own um, statements without, you know, wandering home at the end of the day and make sure you've got control of where people are going and know where
0: people are. Okay, so Emma, Victoria's talked there a little bit about evidence. Maybe we can just build on that a little bit. How important is it to get that kind of reliable evidence together, particularly if it might form part of a subsequent investigation and what about those different kinds of evidence that Victoria's touched on a little bit there, the physical evidence and the witness evidence?
2: Um, yeah, you're exactly right, David. I think, uh, like you said, the very very first uh, thing to remember is that when you're gathering the evidence initially, it will form part of an internal investigation for yourselves to understand potentially what has caused this accident. But also that evidence is being gathered to potentially be available to a regulator later on. So, um, although it's it's you internally gathering it, it's also looking at what might be gathered by others. And as Victoria said, there's essentially two parts to that: there's the physical evidence and the witness evidence. So, again, physical evidence can be um, obtained immediately after the accident. It could be a physical object, a piece of machinery. It could also be things like photographs uh, immediately after the accident. Um, Uh, CCTV footage, um, as well as documents and the gathering of that physical evidence, as well as helping you to understand how the accident has happened. It will also be available to the regulator. If you can gather that evidence immediately after the accident, it can also help build your legal case from the off. So if you've preserved the scene properly and gathered the correct evidence available to you, then your legal team can also see what's been available to the police or the HSE or the regulator. Um, and what they have or what they might have access to later on. And again, witness evidence obviously will come from people who or direct eyewitnesses to the accident itself, but it can also come from anyone else that has any involvement in what's happened. So, for example, if you have a health and safety director in your company or a supervisor who might not have seen the accident themselves, but can speak to different documents, such as risk assessments, systems that were in place at the time, the training that the injured person has undertaken, that's really vital too. And obviously, it's important to make sure that you take witness statements as soon as possible after the accident to make sure that everybody has a fresh account of events in their mind. You also want to be sensitive about the fact that people might still be in shock or they might need some time to process what they've seen. So you can always come back and take witness statements from them later. Often, if police are the first people on the scene, they'll want to speak to the witnesses first. There's nothing wrong with that you can allow them access to your witnesses before you speak to them first. But you can also be an advocate for your employees and say if you feel that that person is in shock and could probably benefit from some time. When conducting your internal investigations, you are going to speak to witnesses yourself. And a lot of the time you might not have been in that position before where you've had to conduct an investigation and take a witness statement. So we would recommend involving your legal team as soon as possible because they understand the information that's required to defend a claim and the level of detail that's needed from a witness. They know how to take witness statements accurately. So, for example, things like having your witness sign and date each page of their statement and allowing them to read it over and correct any Uh, mistakes they might have made. And if your witness has already spoken to the police, then there's no harm in asking them what the police asked them so that you can have a view of any particular areas of interest the police or regulator might be looking at
0: OK, and you touched on this a little bit there, Emma, but, you know, what are those common mistakes that the legal team can help you with? You know, from your experience and the experience of the wider firm, what mistakes do uh, organisations make in the aftermath of an accident that that hampers the subsequent investigation, whether that's internal or internal and external?
2: Yeah, there are common mistakes that we kind of see time and time again, and and we kind of have touched on some of those. So things like disturbing the scene or um, providing too much information or documentation to police or authorities, uh, maybe not understanding the limit of your regulator's authority on site. Um, Other things like not retaining documents properly or keeping good records and By good record keeping, we mean um, obviously of the accident itself, but also of the systems in place prior to the accident. Um, That will ultimately assist you in proving that there were good systems in place and there is a culture of health and safety compliance within your company and that this incident was ultimately an anomaly. And The general advice we give is to retain documents for three years or more, and this is because somebody has a statutory deadline of three years to raise a personal injury claim from the date of the accident, but that's only for personal injury claims. Uh, Health and safety investigations and fatal accident inquiries have no statutory deadline and can take a long time, so if you've got a good system in place to retain all of the documents for as long as you can, that's something that we would encourage. Another common mistake we tend to see is providing an internal report which has an opinion on the cause of the accident before a full investigation has taken place. But ultimately, I think the number one common mistake we tend to see and that in the chaos after an accident people don't really turn their minds to is the failure to take legal advice to set up legal privilege as soon as possible.
0: Okay, and... You've brought us nicely onto legal privilege there. So, Victoria, when you're actually looking at documents uh, after an accident, you're pulling those documents together. Why is legal privilege important and what advice would you give a client about legal privilege if the regulators and police are involved?
1: So legal privilege is... um one of the very few tools that a business who has encountered an accident at work has to try to protect itself. I always find it very interesting when I'm chatting to clients because their biggest fear is usually oh the police have arrived that must mean we're in serious trouble and actually from a workplace point of view the police aren't actually your biggest problem the HSE arguably have more power in that situation than the police do. Um, and again, we'll, we'll talk about this a wee bit more in part two of this podcast, but it comes down to the fact that the HSE can enter any premises they wish if they believe that there is a risk to health and safety and that there might be evidence that they can obtain within those premises. The police, however, would require a warrant to do so in most circumstances. So, um. What legal privilege does in a nutshell is it creates a barrier, a veil around a certain class of material. And it's the one thing that the HSE cannot obtain from a company. So they very often will come to a company and say, we expect you as a responsible employer to have carried out an investigation following this accident have you done so? And nine times out of 10, the accident is, yes, of course we have, we are responsible and we understand our duties. And they say, okay, could we have a copy of that, please? Now, that to me, and I always say to client, you know, the alarm bells should be ringing loud at that point. If you have, in the immediate aftermath of an accident, contacted your legal team and have them help you set up a legally privileged accident investigation, then That investigation report is not recoverable by the HSE. It is a very powerful tool because what we have seen in the health and safety industry since the, um, you know, the the, the big oil and gas disasters in the 1980s and uh, 90s, we saw the health and safety industry decide that the best way to tackle it was to find a root cause analysis. What has gone wrong here and why? And what tends to happen with certain training systems is that a company's health and safety team will swing into action immediately following an accident. And they will produce a report, sometimes very quickly, which concludes what they believe the cause of the accident has been. Now, often those reports are excellent. But if they express an opinion which could in some way implement the company as having had wrongdoing, It's important to take pause and to test internally whether the conclusions of that report are correct. Has it been an assumption? Has there been enough time to actually establish the evidence to reach that conclusion? Because if it's not, and if it's not the subject of legal privilege, what's going to happen is the health and safety executive or other health and safety regulator will seize a copy of that report and they will use that as the basis of a criminal prosecution potentially against the company. So legal privilege is the one thing that stops the HSE having access to your internal investigation report. It can be a little bit tricky. We'll not go into the sort of ins and outs of it um, on this podcast, but the, the important thing to remember is twofold. One, it has to be established by a lawyer and two, it is not retrospective. So if you forget to contact your legal team at the outset, they cannot come in at a a later date and extend legal privilege to a document which is already in existence. So it has to have been created after the accident and it has to have been requested by your legal team. Those are the two really important points to be aware of. There are other more um, delicate details that we will cover with clients as as and when needed, but always bear that in mind.
0: Okay. And finally, just to kind of go back a little bit, Victoria, we talked earlier on about having this responsible person to kind of coordinate the business response to any accident or incident. Who typically might that be in a business and, and what kind of training do they need to be able to respond appropriately in these situations?
1: Again, it depends on the size of your organisation. So if you work within an organisation that has a dedicated health and safety team, then most often it will be a member of that health and safety team who will carry out any investigation. They will act as the point of contact For the health and safety executive, which is very important because you only want one central point of contact. That keeps everything much clearer and avoids unnecessary delays or duplication of work in terms of requests being made by the regulator if they're asking for specific pieces of information. If everything's being channeled through one person, then life is generally a bit easier to manage. There's no specific training required of the person. And I think that's an important thing to highlight. But if possible, you would want somebody who understands the health and safety legislative background, um, who would understand what documentation can and cannot be requested by your health and safety regulator. Um, It's important that the person who's appointed is of at least a sort of middle management level, I would say. The reason for that being they need to have the authority within the business to have access to certain documentation. They need to to know where certain documentation will be stored. Um, And they also need to have a direct reporting line to senior management and or the board of directors, depending on the the company's organisation. The only thing that I would say is something to be aware of, or a bit of a red flag to avoid, would be making sure that whoever is appointed is not involved in the direct line management of the individual who has been injured. And the reason for that is that as the direct line manager and or supervisor, they are potentially going to be asked to provide a witness statement themselves, at some point by the regulator and or the police, depending on the circumstances, that statement might be very straightforward. It might only be to confirm the person's employment, their history, their level of training, etc. But when we take a step back and we look at the potentials for prosecution and why we are investigating this accident to prevent reoccurrence, you don't want any individual witness's knowledge of events tainted by having been involved in an investigation After the fact that has supplemented their knowledge um, as it was at the time that the accident actually
0: occurred. Okay, thank you very much to Victoria Anderson and to Emma Dyson for some terrific advice and insights there. Uh, This is just part one of what do I do if I need to manage an accident at work? Listen out for part two, which covers how to deal with the emergency services, the regulators, the media, and more. And you've been listening to Podcasts by Brodies, where some of the country's leading lawyers share their enlightened thinking about the issues and developments having an impact on the legal sector and what they might mean for organizations, businesses and individuals across the various sectors of the UK economy. To hear more, please subscribe to Podcast by Brodies on all your main podcast platforms, and for more information and insights, please visit www.brodies dot com.